freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 315 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, your nationwide auction house for ammo, firearms, and accessories where you set the price. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Freedom Works, and our guest is John Tamney. John is a vice president at Freedom Works and director of the Center for Economic Freedom. He's also editor of Real Clear Markets and senior economic advisor to mutual fund firm Applied Finance Group. He frequently writes about the securities market along with tax trade and monetary policy issues that impact those markets for a variety of publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Investors Business Daily, Financial Times, National Review, and London's Daily Telegraph. Tamney is the author of five books. His latest is When Politicians Panicked, The New Coronavirus, Expert Opinion, and a Tragic Lapse of Reason, which was released on March 30th of this year. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much, uh, Dan and Cheryl. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Well, this is exciting for us because we just saw you and a whole bunch of other really cool people at an event here in Phoenix. It was put on by Freedom Works. It's part of a tour called America's Comeback. And that's just a, that's an interesting phrasing for uh, any event. And it did feature the event uh, CL Bryant, uh, local uh, former uh, Fox News reporter Carrie Lake, Arizona Senator Senator uh, Kelly Townsend, and internationally known Nigel Farage. So, what do all of these names and these these people have in common, and and why was it named the comeback? It's a good question. I. I... As I see it, why it's come back is that it's Nigel Farage's way of reminding people that although you didn't get everything you wanted in November, that the power of people is just that. It's very powerful that people can get together and they can achieve momentous things. In his case, uh, up against major ridicule, he quarterbacked, he grassroots. Uh, the, the way for Great Britain out of the European Union. And so to me, this tour was about ways that we can improve what's always spectacular. Let's never forget that a bad day in the United States is a remarkable day anywhere else. It just cannot be stressed enough. So for me, comeback, it's a comeback not from desperation, 
but from a great point. We can improve on what's already amazing. Mm. John, I, I was at that uh, event. It was awesome. And I saw so many, every type of person that you could imagine was there. And they were full of energy. Everyone was just ready to fight for America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it, it's, it's, we get energy at Freedom Works from the people, from the activists who work with us and promote the ideas of freedom around the country. They are the ones affecting the change. And we exist to help, to pr- give them ideas, give them issues, uh, give them ways of approaching issues. But uh, it, it's unquestionable to go to these events is to be energized by the people in the room. And that was certainly the case in, in Phoenix last week. Right, and I, I wanna clear that up. Fight for America means <laughs> that they are willing to go out and do something proactive yeah. To, uh, yeah, we got to be so careful yeah, right. about our language yeah. these days. It wasn't right? like, yeah. it's not like we're yeah. inciting violence no. by using the word fight. You know, it's a it's a strong conversational word, but it, it's just crazy the place that we are. And, and to Dan's points, um, there seems to be division everywhere. It's so thick these days. And yet in that particular room, as Danny was saying, it it really wasn't, it didn't feel to us like it was a left versus right versus a this versus a that. It was about, you know, as the constitution uh, was written for everyone. It was truly a, a meeting of, of people from all backgrounds, all races. Um, but because of this division, it seems like every conversation we have causes us to place each other uh, in these little kind of political boxes. So I was thinking of your book from 2019. Uh, It's titled, They're Both Wrong, right? Both major political parties. They're both wrong. A policy guide for America's frustrated independent thinkers. And you talk about how Democrats and Republicans, both sides have turned the Constitution on its head. Can you kind of, you know, break that down for us uh, and help us understand how do we really come back to like a unifying uh, way of, of talking to each other? It's such a great question. And the way I'll answer it is to remind everyone that when we win, particularly on the national level, we're very excited. We stay up until 2 a.m. waiting for the outcome that we hope to have happen. Uh, I know so many people who were ecstatic in November of 2016. Conversely, I know so many people who weren't happy in November of 2020. And you could go back in time. I think in in a sense, both sides missed the point. You're supposed to, in the United States, go to bed early on election night. Because at least national elections aren't supposed to matter. The, The Constitution was this limiting document that said, you know, People have differences of opinion, so let's not have these debates nationally because what could a national politician do to understand local issues? Let's push politics locally. Uh, The national government will provide for a common defense. It will be a limited. And so is it any surprise that we're divided right now? Now, I would submit to you that we've always been somewhat divided. But is, is it any surprise that the U.S., the most unpolitical nation on earth historically, is so political right now? Mm. When Washington is united, by definition, we're divided. Because when Washington's united, that's a sign that left and right, Republicans and Democrats, 
are expanding what government does and they do it every time. I don't care who's in office, uh, government grows no matter what. Also, is it any surprise that we're divided? Suddenly they've made these national elections do or die. We have to win to get what we want pushed through. Well, you know, historically, you didn't worry about that because what you wanted pushed through happened in the city or state you lived in. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. That's, I mean, you've said a mouthful there. And I think that, you know, we have really come generationally so far from that idea that, you know, a lot of times we don't even in our local areas know who our mayor is, we don't know who our state reps are, you know, but we always know, you know, what's going on with, with the federal uh, people. And so what, I mean, what would be your prescription for how do we get back to understanding the role of government and the role of the governed? Well, you know, you, you, you say something so important um, what you say, I think, describes so much of the divide in this country right now. As you just very clearly said, we so often don't know who our mayor is, who our local representatives are, but we know who the national politicians are. You've just described the problem. Mm. And, and I think back to 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and I was actually out of the country at the time, and I picked up a Financial Times in London, and there's this raging headline from the mayor of New Orleans saying, George W. Bush, you get your GD self here to New Orleans and you fix this. Now think about that. It speaks exactly what to, to what you say. Did New Orleanians think about whom they elected? Obviously not. This guy was an utter incompetent. I can't remember his name, but what a zero. Yeah. Did they think about whom they elected a state governor? Her, I forget her name. They didn't have to because suddenly the expectation that FEMA was going to come in a federal, imagine that a federal emergency management concept directed at something that's very local. Uh, New Orleans is the city that's been below sea level forever. It's, it was built with that in mind. Yet suddenly the federal government is expected to be the big player. And so here lies the problem. It's dangerous what we've done. The founders were very clear, have most of your governance be local. But ever since realistically the 1930s, Washington has irrigated to itself more and more power. You can't blame them. Politicians want to have cushy retirements. They want all the material wealth that you have. They just want to get it a different way. So it's in their incentive to complicate the tax code. It's in, very much in their incentive, Republican or Democrat, to increase spending. But you see, once they're out of politics, the bigger the government is, the bigger they can lobby it, the, the more important their speeches are. As you say, we know who you are so they can get on the speaking circuit. And so you've said everything. So long as we focus so much energies on national politicians, we're giving them what they want and we're going to be divided. And so we it's our job to talk about the meaning of the Constitution. I think that's the best thing we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, get around and say, you know, the intention was that we do this locally and for these reasons. Well, I can't even, you know, John, how many uh, politicians even understand what the Constitution is? Mm. I mean, we have a governor, we have a governor in New Jersey that says the Constitution's above his pay grade. Mm -hmm. Why is he governor? Yeah. No, you're you're right, and but we and I don't I don't think I'm telling you what you don't know. We can't be victims. We've got look. There's all sorts of things. What so this is the worst we're up against. Some uh, Phil Murphy is just a tragic governor in New Jersey, and shame on him for not knowing it. 
But think about what the founding fathers were up against. They were up against much, much worse, and they didn't have the internet. They didn't have all these ways to reach people. It's our job to say, you know what, we're not going to, we're, we, we, we've got the ultimate scenario. We've got the ultimate situation to change the debate. I think back to as early as 19, or recently as 1984, Ronald Reagan runs for re-election. Um, and according to the USA Today statistics that they took on it, um, his media coverage going into re-election was, was, uh, was 93% negative. And so think back to then, you had the New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, and Wall Street Journal. Those were the four main newspapers. You had three networks. There was no Rush Limbaugh. There was no internet. There was no Cheryl Todd show, Cheryl and Dan Todd. Nothing like this. You've done 300 shows. That's a sign you're reaching people. Nothing like this existed for Reagan. Mm -hmm. But Reagan won 49 states to one. You know, he figured out a way, and if he could do it, if the founders could do it, if they could figure out a way to create a country, the first country in the history of mankind, rooted in skepticism about politicians, we better believe that we can do it. And if we don't think we can, if we don't think we can win the debate, let's just do something else because we're wasting resources. And that's not a criticism of the two of you. I just think it's important that we tell our side. I think there's an increasing tendency in our side to play the victim card. I'm no, we are so lucky to be American. We are so lucky to be able to have these debates. Let's not shy from them. Let's have them. Let's educate. The problem is, I, I agree with everything you're saying, John. The the thing that scares me is the other the, the side that's trying to destroy America seems to be using the tools very well, the media, the internet all this stuff. And I agree, there's pockets like the event we went to with you and and doing our show that pockets like this can wake people up. But they're, the other side is doing a very good job with the, the media coverage. Good. Uh, thank goodness they're doing a very good job. How awful if they were uncompetitive and trying to do bad things. Right. It's right. going to force the best out of us. I, I hope they're good at it. Let's learn from them. Yeah. Exactly. Because at which point, let's if, if they are trying to destroy America, well, then we've got an easy argument. Let's right. learn from them and make our, state our case because we should be able to win fairly handily. Now, I would just say one thing. I think it's important to stress that watch what they do, not what they say. Um, we hear all the time about how they're socialist and all these different things, but you know, you look at a state like California, it's got uh, three of the five most valuable companies in the world there. Uh, half of the world's venture capital flows to California. Uh, New York is full of really talented, dynamic people. Sometimes people on the left, while they talk big government, they really play like capitalists. See, you think of Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco. Those are three of the most ruthlessly capitalist cities on earth. So while they say one thing, watch what they do. Let's be optimistic. Some of these people are brilliant. Let's convince them. Let's move them to our side. Let's show them why our ways work, that we're trying to reduce the barriers, reduce the limits on the ability of wildly talented people to achieve. Wow. I, I really like awesome. how, how you've said that. And, and that's been one of the things that I've been talking about lately is that, you know, it is so important to have a, a good tension uh, between, you know, if we did have a good and effective left and we did have a good and effective right, somewhere in the middle of that tension, you're going to end up with the best product. 
And so I, I like how you've talked about that. And instead of just constantly looking at each other, like we're mortal em enemies, find those ways that we can pull the best out of, of each other. I think that that was very well, very well. Competition is wonderful. Competition is necessary. It lifts us endlessly and it will lift us here. Uh, the worst thing that could ever happen to the Democrats is if Republicans become ridiculous and vice versa. Yes, absolutely. So one of the ways that, you know, we can take uh, some of the power back to the local level, to the individual level, and find our individual freedoms once again, uh, just within ourselves. You know, we we have more freedoms, I think, than what we we really know and appreciate and and utilize. Um, but one of the ways that we can do that is by focusing on the idea of money. Uh, what is money? What is money in the past? What is money today? What will money be in the future? The ways that we do commerce with one another. So again, looking over some of the books that you've written way back, it feels like way back. And it was only like five years ago uh, in 2016, you wrote, uh, who needs the Fed? Uh, so you were writing about the central bank, the Fed, the onrushing economic irrelevance of this organization. And again, while only five years ago, it feels like you were maybe ahead of the curve as far as, you know, a, a public consciousness over the idea of, you know, well, the Fed's just always been there. I guess, you know, it, it was on the eighth day, God created the Fed. We don't know. We have no idea where the Fed came from, what it's used for. Um, but you break down some of those things in that book. Uh, what are your ideas about that? Are, are you thinking, are you on the cryptocurrency wavelength? Like, where are you with this whole idea? Well, it, it's, a, it's a great question. It's an essential one. Uh, what is money? Money is a measure. It's like a foot or a minute. It's nothing else. It's just a measure. It's an agreement about value among producers. It wasn't created by the state. It was created by producers. I want your wine. You want the butcher's meat. And, but I don't want your bread. Money is this agreement about value that allows us to exchange with each other. And so when it's good, when it holds its value, we can all specialize because we can focus on what we do best and we can get in return for what we produce. And so Adam Smith, it was a throwaway line in Wealth of Nations. He said, quote, the sole use of money is to circulate consumable goods. It wasn't, it didn't begin a chapter. It was just, oh yeah, that, of course that's what money is. If Adam Smith were alive today and he, he found out that there's 5 trillion, literally a day of currency trading around the world. He'd say, well, wait, what? Wait, your currencies don't hold their value? What's, it, they're not money then. You know, he'd be incredulous. And so, you know, go back to 1971, uh, President Nixon pushed by a lot of free market types like Milton Friedman said, no, no, the dollar should float. That's like saying that the minute should bounce around in length and the foot and the tablespoon. Imagine trying to be a chef in a kitchen. If the size of a cup, a length, the length of the minute, the amount of heat in a degree were floating around, there'd be chaos in kitchens on the way to inedible food emerging from them. And that's what we've done to economic 
activity since 1971. It's not to say we haven't progressed. Of course we have. But just think how far, much further ahead we'd be if money had just held its value. And so that's a long way of saying that, yes, I think crypto is the future. Do I think it's Bitcoin? No. And the reason I don't is that Bitcoin reflects all the dollar's worth, worst qualities, but many times over. Um, Cheryl and Dan, will you remodel my bathroom? I'll pay you three Bitcoin right now, three in six months and three in a year. Your logical question is going to be, well, which Bitcoin? The one that was $250 a coin, what, four years ago? The one that was 20,000, what, two or three years ago? The one that was 60,000 a week ago or the one that's 30,000 now? Depending on the day that we transacted and that I paid you, either you'd be getting ripped off or I would. That's not money. Money isn't a, is money is quiet. Money just is there. It's twelve inches essentially, mm -hmm. and so my strong sense is that precisely because there's trillions worth of currency trading every day, that's the sign that eventually, probably a J.P. Morgan, maybe an Amazon, maybe a Target, they're going to come out with a stable currency. We'll go into restaurants and say, "Do you take Amazon dollars?" I would much prefer to earn Amazon dollars because I would know that if they devalued my earnings, I would quit them. I can't quit the US treasury when it devalues the dollar. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is where we're heading just because let's never forget what inflation is. It's not too much economic growth as economists tell us and politicians. Inflation is a devaluation of the unit, in our case, the dollar, meaning inflation is robbing us of the worth of our work. Inflation robs of us of a better future. What, how do investors create jobs? They push dollars to innovators. But if the dollar is being devalued, why invest? And so I'm, I'm fairly certain that the future is going to be private money. Again, pushing the Fed further into irrelevance than it already is. Because the market wants currencies that can be trusted. Mm -hmm. And I could see on a, a local basis, you could probably come up with, with private money, a way that, that you could agree on a, let's say a, a town level, but, and then maybe that could grow to a state level, but then how would that end up ultimately translating to doing international commerce? It, it really kind of does lend itself to thinking about this crypto idea. But right now, I do think crypto is more like a commodity that rises and falls rather than a money. So I, I guess I'm unpacking my own thoughts out, out loud here. Um, I'm just not sure well, you're right. how, how we're going you're absolutely to- absolutely right. What you say is true. It's a commodity. It's a speculation, which yeah. means it's not money. Yeah. But you think about it now. If you went to Iran today, and tried to buy things with the local currency, the Toman, they'd look at you like you had one eyebrow. Same if you were in North Korea, same if you were in Venezuela. But if you took a dollar out of your pocket, you'd get things. Do the dollar liquefies global trade at the moment. It is the world's currency. Now, again, is it perfect? No, it's, very, it's rather imperfect. So as is, we've got a currency that liquefies all trade within 50 states. It's an ex accepted agreement about value. It's the world's currency. What would be different if Amazon said, you know what, we can do this better. Uh, that, that dollar you're earning, you can't trust. You, know, 
you know, one day it buys one 250th of an ounce of gold, one day it buys 17, one 1700th. That's not a very good deal for you as a worker. Well, you give me a chance to earn Amazon dollars, I will take it in a heartbeat because I guarantee you the currency, the private money that is seen as stable will very soon replace the dollar as the liquefier of global exchange because right now the dollar isn't fully reliable. And how we know this is there's five trillion worth of currency trading every day. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't Nixon in 71 uh, do that to the dollar so that they could just make more money? That was the whole purpose. They, wasn't there regulations against them printing more money? Yes, no, but see, it, it, with the gold standard, theoretically, you'd be if we went back to gold tomorrow, the number of dollars printed would skyrocket. Because think about it, so many people around the world would want to use the dollars even more. Oh, wow, it's trusted again. It's defined in terms of gold. It's even better as a medium of exchange. I've got bread. I want your wine. Let, let's transact. Uh, Nixon, so Nixon did it for a variety of reasons. The main reason he did it was that uh, manufacturers, uh, automakers, amazingly, they wanted, they thought a cheaper dollar would make them more competitive globally. What they missed is that the only closed economy is the world economy. Remember what happened in the 1970s. Nixon severs the dollar's link to gold. The dollar goes into free fall because there's an explicit devaluation. And guess what happened? Remember the gasoline spikes? To this day, they blame OPEC. What a laugh. No, OPEC sent a a communique to Washington saying, look, if, if you change the dollar's relationship with gold, expect oil to rise. It wasn't OPEC that did that. If that being the case, why did oil fall so much in the 80s and 90s? Was OPEC feeling generous? No. When the dollar declines, oil spikes. When the dollar rises, oil plummets. And so Nixon's decision proved disastrous for the U.S. automakers. Because what did U.S. automakers do best? They created big, gas-guzzling American muscle cars. Well, suddenly... Filling up those cars cost a ton of money. So the Jap- the very Japanese they wanted to be, quote, competitive with, suddenly had the, the market opening of a lifetime. People wanted smaller, uh, more fuel-efficient cars. Mm-hmm. And so this was, politicians have forever been clipping coins. They've been shrinking them, hoping that it makes them competitive. It never works. You can't change reality. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they just eviscerated the earnings of every American. Uh, at the same time, that their earnings stretched a lot less. Nixon inflated, he devalued the dollar. It was disastrous. It's it's no mistake that the 70s were such a slow economic decade for the United States. Conversely, it's no mistake that the 80s and 90s were so grand for the US, Ronald Reagan ran on returning to the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton was one of the best dollar presidents in modern times. His treasury secretary, Robert Rubin, said over and over again, a strong dollar is in the best interest of the American people. We're not gonna, job own the Japanese anymore. The market's keyed on that and they loved it. Mm-hmm. So isn't there some kind of regulation right now, federal, that there is no, there can't be a private money to compete against the government? It's such a good question. Um, I've heard different things. I've heard that uh, government, if it sees private money becoming too heavily circulated, that it's going to squash it. My response is good luck. Yeah. Capitalists are way too fast for government and they're getting faster all the time. Never, ever forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
can't remember if I, t- I remember back in 2009, I was visiting an entrepreneur in Houston. You know, 2009 is kind of a rough time for the U.S. economically. They said, are you optimistic? Are we going to get through this? He said, are you kidding me? I said, I'm way too smart for Obama. Are you joking? I was way too smart for Bush too. And realized that's how Americans think. Never forget that our entrepreneurs face, stare death in the face every day. Phil Knight of Nike spent 18 years thinking Nike was going to die, telling his wife every night, we're going to make it and not believing what he told her. Mm-hmm. This is nothing to the American people. Mm-hmm. Never forget that. Mm-hmm. And so these barriers, look at what Uber did. A great entrepreneur and Travis Kalanick said, wait, there's all these rules. There's these taxi cartels. Oh, guess what? I'm going to get an app in people's hands and we're going to work around them. You want to come after me, come after me. At that point, he was so quick. By the time these second, third rate people in government figured out what Uber had done, it was too late. Democrats and Republicans were too in love with Uber for them to do anything. And so if Travis Kalanick can do it with an app, Think about what an entrepreneurial visionary can do with money that holds value. Government cannot keep this down. And let's not let, let's never go for the idea that they'll squash it. We're way too fast for them. That's awesome. That, that is, uh, I got goosebumps listening yeah. to that because, you know, entrepreneurs are, you know, you tell us something's impossible. It just energizes us. Yeah. And so, uh, that is so true and so important to remember because, you know, listening to the news and that's always an air quote, man, the bad news just keeps hitting. And, and so you can let it get you down or you can spin it on its head and say, well, if that's true, somebody's benefiting somewhere, right? Uh, yeah. So find that niche and be the person that, you know, fuels a new idea. I, I love that you brought up Uber. I can't That's believe fantastic. you think about that. I mean, we've been in business all our life, mm-hmm. ever since we've been married 35 years. And how many times have we been told you can't do that? All the time. And that just, <laughs> and so what did we do? We did it. Yeah. You well, know, you guys live this. Yeah. Right. What are entrepreneurs? They are the people who believe deeply in something that is ridiculed by everyone else. Mm-hmm. If people agreed with you, it would have already been done. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so never forget, we're, we're Americans. We're different. We descend from the crazies, the people who crossed oceans and borders to get a taste of freedom. Yeah. Right, so well, true. The ultimate entrepreneurial act was for our ancestors and sometimes us to get here. This is nothing. And yeah. so America is full of these people who just have to do something better, who have to prove to have to try a new way and enrich people's lives by doing enrich themselves. The politicians, oh, please. It's going to get harder and harder for them. And that's why I remain optimistic. Never bet against the United States. It's always been a loser bet, but it becomes even more of a loser's bet with each passing day, because look at what we can do, even with these hideous lockdowns. Look at how capitalism kept working around these sick people who chose economic desperation as a virus mitigation strategy. Mm. Well, that takes us to your next book that I, that's exactly the great, the the good segue for me. Um, So your, your newest book that just came out in March of 2021, this year, we're sitting in the studio on May 31st of 2021. When politicians panicked, the new coronavirus, expert opinion, and a tragic lapse of reason, in this book, you make the case that there were errors and mistakes, but 
if you look at through, you look at all that happened in 2020 and, and now almost half of 2021 through a globalist viewpoint, people that really want like a global government and one world government and all of that, um, that used to be like a weird conspiracy theory, but I don't, I don't know that anything can be a conspiracy theory anymore because we keep seeing things that, that were floated as conspiracy theories. So it's like, oh, well, no, there was actually something there. But if you look at it through a globalist lens, the mistakes maybe look a little bit more purposeful and calculated. You know, if we can tank the American um, economy, then it can more closely match other economies around the world. And so then you get more of a tongue and groove if we are, if that is our, our future for all of us to be somehow seated in in a one world government, they're still going to fight with each other, right? Because politicians are power hungry. So I don't quite understand the whole idea of globalism, but what are your thoughts about that? Were they really like blunders or was there sort of a purposefulness behind it? I don't think so. Um, let's never forget if the U.S. economy tanks, the global economy collapses. Yeah. Uh, and, and vice versa. Uh, let's never forget that Apple's the most valuable company in the world. It sells a fifth of its iPhones in China. Uh, Nike, second largest market is China. McDonald's, second largest market is China. There are 4,200 Starbucks in China on the way to tens of thousands. To me, what the global economy told us is that we knew long before the lockdowns that the virus wasn't, was many things, it wasn't lethal lethality wasn't one of them. And how we know this is that it originated in China. People can have different views about why and how it originated, but the simple truth is that if it had been an indiscriminate killer, stock markets in the U.S. would have been crashing in 2019 to reflect the loss of a major market. And certainly in early 2020, U.S. shares were hitting an all-time high. Hmm. I think it's really dangerous to blame others for this. Our politicians did this. Market signals were indicating very loudly that the virus wasn't terribly lethal, yet they chose to lock down. They said, if we don't, uh, hospitals will be overrun with sick people. Well, last I checked, I don't need to have to be forced to avoid behavior consistent with hospitalization. Oh, but if we don't take away your freedom and your jobs, uh, you will um, die. Millions of Americans will die. But see, if people were suddenly dying of the virus, the lockdowns that would have happened in the United States voluntarily would have made what the politicians recommended seem meek by comparison. Hmm. Uh, Donald Trump didn't have to panic. You know, I'm sorry. I'll go to my grave saying that the one time Donald Trump didn't act like Donald Trump was when we needed him to. We needed him to say, look, there's viruses hit all the time, but any governor is so stupid as to take away freedom to destroy businesses and jobs as a way to fight the virus is going to have a regular visitor to a state. It's going to be me. I will make this the number one campaign issue and I will crush you for doing this. And think about if he acts like Donald Trump, people kept saying, Mr. Trump, stop acting like you. Stop interrupting the debates. Stop, get off Twitter. No, no, no. If Trump weren't like that, he wouldn't have been elected president. That's who he was. Yeah. The shame was when he didn't act like Trump. Mm. 
because in this case, he went along with the alarmists. Yeah. And I th- and he if he hadn't gone along with the alarmists, he would still be president today. Because think about it, if he had he would have if he had said the lockdown thing is idiotic. If states want to do it, they've got me to deal with. Suddenly, you would he would have given Republican governors around the country cover to not do what was so abjectly stupid. Mm. At which point, there's no federal virus bill. What the CARES Act, two point nine trillion. So if there's no federal money flowing in the states, basically California's lockdowns would have lasted about a week. Same with New York. Arizona would never have been, could never have locked down at all. Certainly Texas. Um, the shame was that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to blame others. Politicians panicked here. Let's be honest. They didn't have to do that. Market signals told them they didn't have to do that. Logic says you never take away freedom, yet they did. Mm. Well, I, I, I can't help but believe there's something in that, that they just, they wanted to see how far they could go to control people. It, it just seems like, to me, that's what it is. Could be, um, but I, I tend to think that they actually thought they were doing a good thing. I think they thought they meant well. And then they, then they realized a week into it, oh, wow, we have done some serious damage. Yeah. monumental damage and they thought there's no turning back for us to admit just how monumentally we blundered mm-hmm. would be the wrong so we're going to continue with this falsehood mm-hmm. that the only way to mitigate a spreading virus is just to keep people locked down um, historians will marvel at their abject stupidity but you know look I say again um, I refuse to excuse anyone who would take away our freedom and my response is, look, the Democrats could have done it in their states they were running, but more there were more Republican governors than Democratic governors. Uh, can't we expect our leaders to act like Republicans and say, oh, gosh, wait, a virus is spreading. It's real. Hey, we all know that. that we will never take away freedom to fight it. That would be the worst way to fight a virus. Well, I, I just think that we've got to demand more of our side. And in this case, I think our side failed us. Yeah. Boy. That's good stuff. I definitely would say that 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 your book is a a good perspective to read because it does kind of take it out of the, you know, there's all white hats on one side and all black hats on the other side. Um, So I I recommend that when politicians panicked for that reason. So our next round of elections across this nation are, I mean, just a few short months away. Uh, we need to secure our election process. Just make sure that it's okay. I mean, I think it's a it's a good thing to to look into it and make sure. Oh, if there's any mistakes that happened, let's fix it. If there are errors that are going on, let's fix it. I don't think that has to be a big conspiracy theory that that it has become. Maybe it is. I don't know, but I think that it's good to look at it. We have to secure our election process. We need to rise up new leaders and encourage new people to step into this rough and tumble uh, blood sport called politics. Uh, We need to elect people who are dedicated to being actual public servants, not just politicians, and people who are constitutionalists. From your perspective, from traveling, not just the country, but the world, dealing with people, you know, uh, meeting people at things like this Freedom Works America's Comeback Tour. How do we do that? What is your idea for how do we do these things in just a few months time? 
Well, it's a great question. And I always take people back in time to 2016. There's, there, there's a tendency to get to be depressed and, oh, well, we didn't win. And so America is over with and everything. My first response on that is to ever say that is to insult a great country. If, if, if someone as second rate as Joe Biden can take down America, then it's not worth saving in the first place. But please, <laughs> wait, he's the guy? Oh, I don't think so. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Come it's on, man, seriously. Uh, beyond that, but, you know, I always hear, well, but the schools are bad and this is bad and it's just not fair. I am so tired of people complaining. In 2016, Republicans on, what was it, November 4th, uh, controlled the White House, House, Senate, uh, Supreme Court, two-thirds of governorships, two-thirds of state legislatures. When Republicans broadly act like Republicans, they win. Uh, are, is, is there always malfeasance? Is there always cheating in elections? Look, as long as an election uh, hinges on how many votes you can tally, there will always be fraud. That's a given. Mm -hmm. But it's never held Republicans back when they act like Republicans. Ronald Reagan was a Republican. He had deep beliefs. He won 44 states, then he won 49. George H.W. Bush follows him, and because they thought he would be a continuation of Reagan, he wins by a landslide. But in fact, he wasn't. He raised taxes when he said he wouldn't. He foisted on us uh, the Clean Air Act, all sorts of things that had nothing to do with the Republicans, and he was rightly pushed out. You go to 2008, I'm sorry, Republicans deserve to come up. It's George W. Bush said he believed in capitalism and free markets, but they weren't working, so he was going to fix them, so he created a financial crisis. You know, sometimes our side acts really foolishly, mm -hmm. and so let's not be foolish. As you say, let's be constitutionalists. Let's promote the idea, the truth, the historical American truth that most governance should be local, that we should limit what happens in Washington, that our job in going there is to not, is to, is to not just talk about cutting government programs, but just eliminating what has nothing to do with constitutional limits. Um, we're not going to get everything we want, but I think when we act like Republicans, we win. We don't have to worry about whether they voted a few dead people in Chicago or somewhere else. And so that's always my answer. Uh, America is a center-right, limited government nation. It descends from people who were skeptical about politicians. We're still that way. So when Republicans act that way, they win. I, I like your, your synopsis there. Here in Arizona, we I, we are fail constantly when we are hiring our uh, Republican representatives. We think we've hired a Republican and then they start acting like Democrats. So the way that you phrase that, I think is, is quite, quite perfect. Um, we are just about out of time. This went so quickly, but I do want to ask you what is on the horizon for uh, Freedom Works and what's on the horizon for you personally? What what do we have waiting for us in the works with John Tamney? Well, Freedom Works will continue to do what it does best, which is interact with people around the country and inform them, and then be then be informed by them. Uh, we think that politicians respond to incentives, and so the best way to get a more freedom-focused Congress is to win over people around the country. 
Um, if politicians have a more educated electorate commanding more constitutional governance, so be it, that's what we'll get. And so that's what we're going to continue to do. And we're, we're very lucky to do it. Uh, for me, uh, I'm going to begin my next book soon. It's about how housing historically has held Americans back. It limits their mobility, that it's not an investment as much as it's consumption that limits the process whereby we move our talents to their highest use. So I'm going to make a case against housing, against this promotion of housing as an ownership good that both parties have done for decades. And so I'm broadly excited about the book. I think there's there's a good message within there that uh, this is another way that politicians have more control of us, over us because it's so hard to move nowadays. And uh, so I'll continue to do that, but within that, I'll continue to promote when politicians panic. That's going to be my other's life's work for quite some time. I think it's essential that our side have a say in what happened in the history of what happened. Because if we don't, history books will pretend that a virus took down the global economy. No, no panicky politicians did. Uh, so that's going to be a huge part of my work for years and years, uh, getting that message out there. And so I'm going to have a lot of work to do, but uh, you know, I want to stress how lucky I am that I get to do something about which I'm passionate. Uh, we so easily forget in the United States how lucky we are. Most people around the world would give anything to have our leadership of Biden, Trump, or anyone, because they have it so much worse. Their options are so much worse. Their ability to achieve and be entrepreneurial is so suffocated. So let's never forget how good we have it. That in the U.S., it's about making what is already amazing even more amazing. And that's what I'm going to try. I'm going to try to play a role in that. Hey, John, when you do your book on housing, could we have you back on? Because I'm very interested in that subject. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, glad, gladly. This is a, it's, I'm going to co-write it with Jack Ryan, who's actually the last person to run for Senate against Barack Obama. He's a real estate entrepreneur and um, he's got some really interesting ideas and I'd love to try them. I'll send you a copy and everything once we have it. We hope to have it out by, you know, probably next spring. I'd awesome. love that. That's a great Thank you. question. All right. Well, I hear your kiddos in the background. <laughs> eager. Sorry for about that. Kids. Hey, no, that's great. okay. We're our studios in our home as well. So at <laughs> any moment, madness could break out. Dogs, kids, <laughs> yeah. you never know. Um, but tell folks how they can continue to follow the work that you personally are doing and also Freedom Works and anything else you're involved with. We have uh, Freedom Works. You can find us and what we do at freedomworks.org. And so, uh, I think such important work. Um, I'm on Twitter at John Tamney. I'm of course on Facebook. Um, my books are all on Amazon. Uh, there are no charts or graphs in my books. They explain economics through the world around us. If you, if you, my take is that if you understand sports and movies and television and famous people, you actually understand economics. And that's how I explain it. I think that everyone watching knows economics much better than most economists do who hide behind charts and equations. I just explain it through the real world. And so you can find all my books and um, talking about this. Uh, look, and, and, so, and so based on that, that, those are the best ways to find me. And uh, as always, I'm very lucky to be able to do what I do. And so thank you to the extent that, that you'll read me. Um, I'm flattered and, and, uh, and I, I hope that my thinking improves how you, how, you, how you see the world. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much. We really appreciate you. We're definitely asking you back on and hope you will yeah. come. Will do. Count on it.
All right. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you. Bye, John. That was what a, an optimistic voice. Yes, but you know what? I love that. I needed that. I had 87 questions for him. I know. And we didn't have time for it. I know. Yes. Well, I don't know if we're going to have to talk to him on, on the side or what, but I need, I have questions. So many questions. He sounds like he has so many answers. But yes, you're right. I mean, to think about that, that America will win. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the way we have Ameri- the ability right. to win, right. but we have yeah. to be engaged in the the process of winning. Well, we sometimes it's unfortunate that you have to go to the bottom before you come back up. That's true. And that's I true. think that's where we're at. All right. So, well, we so. have got to blast on out of here. So I definitely want to thank our amazing guest, John Tamney, today. Uh, please check out the work that he's doing with Freedom Works. <clears> and also, uh, he has his own website, uh, johntamney.com. And Thank you so much to our listeners, not just here locally, which is where politics are the most important, but also across the nation and across the world. Well, the the subject matter experts that we bring on, I love talking to them. Dan loves talking to them. Sure. We would enjoy these conversations anyway, but the fact that we can have them with the rest of you, and then you take those conversations around your dinner tables and your carpools and with your kids oh my goodness, that's the next generation. Your time is your most valuable commodity. And when you spend it with us and having these conversations and carrying these ideas forward, it's everything. And we appreciate you. Thank you so much for that. All right. What are we going to do until next time, Dan? We're going to pray for the people. Okay. We're going to pray that they'll wake up and start fighting for what America is, Mm -hmm. was, and should be. And when I say by fighting, doesn't mean you go and start shooting i'm mm-hmm. talking about fighting by just refusing to lose mm-hmm. just go out there and tell people what you feel and mm-hmm. and not be afraid to have conversations and just be strong yeah it's like the opposite of forfeiting right, right. fighting is the opposite of forfeiting just, because yeah too often we do we just, just we shrug yeah. and we go well somebody's gonna eh, do this somebody's gonna it. take care of that somebody's yeah. gonna run for office uh somebody's gonna go vote and uh we forfeit uh, so, uh, yeah, stay in, stay in it. But so we're going to pray for our nation, pray for our lead, our, our representatives, representatives. How about the ones that we don't like very much? Yeah, I'll pray for them. Okay. Maybe especially the ones we don't like very That's much. All, good. all right, everybody. <laughs> good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. Bye-bye.